Good evening, everyone. Glad you all were able to make it out this evening. And do also appreciate the, appreciate the opportunity to get to preach. Um, I know I'm teaching every Sunday morning now, so um, even with that, though, it is kind of nice to be able to preach something different than just the Sunday School series, so it's nice here. And before I forget, I'm going to turn this on because Philip asked, and it will distract him. Well, he's not even here. Oh, there he is. Okay, it's on now. Be happy. All right. Um, this evening, if you have uh, your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark. Be in Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read a section of Scripture here. You can just follow along. Be Mark chapter 2, um, starting in verse 23. So Mark 2:23. It says this, and it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisee said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did? When he, w- when he had need and was in hunger, he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he said unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth straightway, And straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. And I'm going to read one small verse over here in Luke chapter 6. You don't need to turn there. It says this, it's the same story. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. So if you would, let's go ahead and pray. Um, Heavenly Father, pray, Lord, that you be with uh, my thoughts this evening. Help me to have a clear thoughts. And pray, Lord, that as we go through the message and through the story here, that uh, your word would be presented clearly so it would encourage and challenge each and every one of us. Um, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So now, the reason I turned over to the other story was it kind of gives a, an additional flavor to what was going on when the disciples went through. It wasn't just so much that they went through and grabbed a, a piece of corn and, and ate it. They, they actually rubbed it in their hands. Which is why the Pharisees were having an issue with it, because they were working on the Sabbath day. So when they plucked the ears of corn or grabbed the kernels of wheat, they had to rub the corn to get rid of the chaff. And so that's what they were doing. And so the Pharisees were saying, your disciples have just now worked on the Sabbath. Now, I want to pause for just a moment. I want to kind of tell you a little bit of the story. I'm actually going to correct something you probably have wrong in your understanding about American history. I need to correct this because... A lot of people have a misunderstanding about this. Now, it started around 
the late 1800s, you know, 1895, 1896. Now, this is the true story. This is really what happened. So around 1895, 1896, um, in America, they started building a lot of, like, Napa auto parts stores and auto zones. Um, they actually started putting up a lot of shell stations and petrol stations around the country. They started building those. And different, different people, like insurance agencies, started opening up insurance companies and agencies to, you know, to give insurance for automobiles and everything else. And all these things and all these industries started being created and built in the late 1800s. Now, those industries were having a hard time making money. So around 1904, Henry Ford put out the Model T so that there would be enough vehicles to support all of these industries because these industries were failing because they didn't have any business. And so Henry Ford created the car or mass produced the car so that there would be enough vehicles to support all of these autos, you know, companies, all these auto parts stores, all these insurance agencies, all these gas stations that were cropping up everywhere. Like they had no business. And so Henry Ford, looking at the need here, created all these cars so that these industries could stay in business. That's ridiculous, right? Right? How many of you actually believe that? No. It, it's, it's a ridiculous idea to think that all these industries were in existence before cars came along. It's not like, you know, they went through and they paved all these roads. And they're like, man, we have all these paved roads. What are we, do? What are we going to put on these? Let's put cars. We have all these paved roads now. No, it's, the idea is that whenever cars came along as a means of transportation that could get you from one place to another, and they actually became more economical, as those things started happening, these other industries started becoming more prevalent and more needful. Auto parts stores, gas stations, insurance companies, all of these things were a result of, of a need that was created. So the cars were in existence, then because the cars were created, all these industries came afterwards. Now, in the passage here, Jesus makes a comment to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees have a false understanding about the, the relationship of men to the law and the relationship of law to the men. They've gotten this idea that man was created because there were all these laws in existence that needed to be followed. And the real thing is, and the true story is, that the laws were created for the benefit of man. And it's not, God didn't sit there and, and he didn't create all these laws and write down all these instructions and then say, who can I give these to? And then he, look, you know, he didn't look around and be like, oh man, I have nobody who can follow my laws. Let me create man now. God didn't do that. The, the fact is that man was created and the law was created for the benefit of man centuries afterwards. And the Pharisees had gotten into this idea that, that man, the, the sole purpose of man was to follow the law. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't follow the law. It's not discounting that. But the Pharisees had gotten this idea and they'd kind of gotten out of alignment with what God's intent was. Now, I want you to look at this text here and kind of follow through the story here what happens here first. So the, fir- the first thing is the disciples are eating and working for their food on the Sabbath day. Now, 
it is true that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. But the example that Jesus gives is of David when he goes in under the showbread of Abiathar. Now, if you remember, we actually went through that in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. But when he was going through the temple with his men on the run from Saul, Abiathar sheltered him. And Abiathar was one of the priests. And Abiathar, from the food that was designated for the priests, fed David and his men. Now, that food was specifically set aside and sanctified for the priest's usage. The thing was, though, when the priest looked and they saw the need of a man who had need for food, it was at their discretion to give the food. And the, the priest gave of the food willingly to another person. Now, if David had gone in and demanded that, that would have been another story. But Abiathar took care of his guests, took care of that one. And because it was a need of the person at the time. Even though the bread had been sanctified and set apart for the specific use, it was allowed to use for that. Because it was used for good and for a good purpose. Now, the same thing happens when Jesus goes into the Sabbath. He goes into synagogue, and there's a man that has a withered hand. So, you know, something is wrong with his hand. And Jesus asks the question of the Pharisees that are all there. They're gathered around, and he asks a simple question. All right, so you, you're saying, that, you know, the Pharisees are waiting, waiting to see what's going to happen. They're like, is he going to work on the Sabbath day? Is he going to do something on the Sabbath day? We know his disciples, they, they work. They, make, they work to get their food. You know, they, like they're eating, they're working. So most likely he's told him it's okay. Well, let's see what he's going to say. So this guy comes in and he's, he's got a withered hand. He needs healed. And Jesus, w- watching it, looking at what they're doing, he, he knows their hearts. And he knows the fact that they're angry and he, he's angered at their wickedness. Because, and then he asks them a question. Is it, is it on the Sabbath, is it okay to do good or is it better to do evil? So on the Sabbath day, if you're, if you're here and you're, you have to do something, would you do something evil or would you do something good? Now the Pharisees, they have a, they have a problem here. Because even in the law, if, for example, your ox were to stumble in a ditch, you're not commanded to leave it there to die. You're instructed to get it out. Now if an ox gets in a ditch, ox are heavy, oxen are heavy, it's not going to be one of those things where it's easy. If the ox is stuck, like he can't get out of his own accord, you're going to have to lift him. And you're probably going to have to get help to do that. I don't think I could lift an ox myself. Um, I don't think anybody in here could. But if, if my ox was trapped in the ditch, I'm sure that all of us together could go out and get the ox out of the ditch. Like with a community effort. The question is, if all of us were to do that community effort and get my ox out of the ditch, would you all be sinning because it's the Sabbath? The answer is no. Now, these men here, they, they stay silent because the minute they say, well, of course it's, it's lawful to do right on the Sabbath day. They're going to give Jesus license to go out and heal this man. If they say, well, no, like you can't do good on the Sabbath, they're saying that you can do evil on the Sabbath day and it's better to do evil and then they'd be giving testimony of their own wickedness by saying it's better to do wicked on the Sabbath. So they stay silent because to speak is to either shame themselves or to magnify the greatness of Jesus. So they stay silent on the matter. They're at least smart in that, that aspect. And so Jesus heals the man. Now these people, 
The interesting thing is that right after this, it says in verse 6, And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Now, it's very ironic that the, the Pharisees, in seeing Jesus obey the law, are mad and go out and disobey the law so they can make a, make a plan to destroy him. This whole idea of destroying him, that's, they basically wanted to make a plot to kill him. Now, question. What do you think would be worse? Getting an ox out of a ditch or healing a person on a Sabbath day or killing somebody on a Sabbath day? Which would be worse? It's no question. Like, one's good and one's bad. One's evil and one is righteous. It's, it's kind of a clear, a clear decision. And the thing was, the, when Jesus was making this point, and especially when he made the, the point, when he made the statement that the Sabbath was made for man and not the man for Sabbath, he was actually correcting the, the incorrect understanding that the Pharisees had of history. Now, I want you to think about this. For, you have to think for, I know it's Sunday night, but you have to think about this for a minute. The, or the Pharisees had adopted a mentality about history and the way the law was developed. And they have a very false understanding, one, about history and about the law. Now, the Pharisees basically had one platform. They were, they were prominent leaders among the religious Jews because of their strict adherence to the law. Now, their primary belief and their primary idea was that they were righteous before God, by their adherence to the law. And so their, their prominence among the Jewish leadership is, one, their strict adherence, and, the, and by pointing out any minutia that other people didn't meet up with, that they, that they met up with, they highlighted their righteousness. So the more, and so really, it's kind of the idea of, if I can't bring myself up, I'm going to bring other people down to make myself look better. And really what the Pharisees were doing and what they did regularly and why Jesus, one, had a problem with them and why they had a problem with Jesus is that the Pharisees had this idea that we follow the law so strictly and so well that we are righteous before God. And they would point out all the errors of everyone else and say, oh, you did that wrong. 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 And one, they instilled people, this mentality of fear in all people because everyone's on eggshells hoping they don't break some minutia of the law that the Pharisees had established or that they said, well, you know, yeah, this is the law, but you have to do this to make sure you're keeping the law. And... This confrontation right here with Jesus is actually one of those points where, okay, one, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. And, you know, you're supposed to prepare certain things. But if you're walking out by the field and you see a piece of, you know, some food there and you pick up to grab it, you know, if you have to peel an orange to eat the orange, you're not sinning by peeling the orange. And it's not like that was, you know, some erroneous thing. But they had gone beyond the point uh, of what was, what was natural. And, they, you know, they made all these additional laws and additional requirements to make sure you're keeping the law. So a lot like, you know, Eve did back in the garden, you know, when you can't touch it. God's law wasn't you can't touch the fruit, just not to eat it. But by saying, well, I can't touch it, it's a good principle to say, well, if I'm not touching it, I'm not going to eat it. 
But then to say that the principle that I've established so I not, don't sin, you can't say that that's God's law too. And the Pharisees had actually done that. So now they have this, this prominent leadership and this, these, these places of preeminence among the Jewish leaders because they have established their principles almost as equally as equal with God's. And so now, because they're following those strictly, they can nitpick everyone else and point out everyone else how wrong they are, and they look more and more right. Now, most likely nobody likes them, because how many of you like a person who's going around like, oh, you did that wrong. Oh, you did that wrong. Oh, you did that wrong. Oh, this is how you do it. Look at me. I am perfect. This is how you do it. Who, nobody likes a person like that. Those, those kind of people drive, I don't like them, they drive you crazy. And so the Pharisees, even though nobody liked them, they were still the leadership, and they were the ones that were in charge. Now, when it comes to this whole idea, though, I want you to think about something, especially in other passages where they, they refer to themselves as children of Abraham. I want you to think about one thing here. They were placing themselves on the, the footing with Abraham and his righteousness. And they were saying that they were as righteous as Abraham based on the words given through Moses. Now, if anybody in here, you have to think about that for a second, because it's very wrong, but this is exactly what they were doing. They were making themselves righteous as Abraham on the basis of Moses' words. Does anybody know what the problem is with that? Anybody? Any, any guesses why that's wrong or why that would be a problem? Any idea? They were as righteous as Moses, or as, as Abraham, because of adherence to words given under Moses. The problem is, Moses was born over 400 to 500 years after Abraham. Abraham was given righteousness, or Abraham was imputed righteousness, by his faith in God. That faith in God, and the promise to come of the Messiah, and the trust in God, the faith in God as, as a source of righteousness, and the following God in faith, was the premise and the establishment and the, the basis for righteousness for Abraham. Abraham was imputed righteousness because he had faith in God and recognized that he needed God for his shortcomings. His lineage and his children followed after that promise for 400 plus years. And it was four to 500 years later when Moses was born. And then Moses was close to 80 years old before the law was given. The commandment to observe and keep the Sabbath day holy that these Pharisees were harping on as an establishment and the basis for their righteousness wasn't given until 500, at least 500 years later. So the, the problem was the Pharisees were saying the law that was given 500 years after Abraham, they're, they're claiming that as a source of their righteousness. That's the problem. So the Pharisees were saying, because of our adherence to the law, we are righteous. But righteousness does not come from adherence to the law. Righteousness comes as a result of faith in God. 
Faith in God is what establishes our righteousness. The same way it did for Abraham. All the way back to Abel. It says that Cain killed righteous Abel. Abel's righteousness was not established by the law of Moses. Because that's even farther back. That, that happened before. So righteousness isn't established in any way by your adherence or your obedience to the law. See, the Pharisees, they were completely wrong. Their whole history was messed up. They, they had this idea that, oh, well, you know, the Sabbath, man was created for Sabbath. We were created to follow this law. Our faith and our righteousness is as a result of the law. Because they had their history backwards. They're, they're putting, they're putting the, the result before the effect. Now, or before the cause. Now, the thing is, it says this. The Sabbath was made for man. Now, it, because the Pharisees had this wrong understanding about the law, their whole understanding about the law was off. And a lot of times, I think for us, we can almost have the same misconception about what the law is and the benefit it actually has for our lives. Now, if, now, if you understand, so faith is the basis for righteousness. Now, the Pharisees saying righteousness is a result of my actions and my obedience to the law. Now, in Galatians, I'm going to turn over here to Galatians. I want to actually read a passage here from Galatians that kind of actually goes through the same understanding here. Now, if you'll follow along, in Gal- I'm going to read in Galatians chapter 3. It says this, and, I, and this I say, that the covenant... That was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So speaking of the promise given to Abraham, and he's saying that 430 years later when the law was given to Moses, it can't make that promise of no effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of the transgressions, Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by, an, by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have been given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So, here, Paul goes through the history of, of Abraham and explains exactly why the Pharisees were wrong. See, and the, what happened was that mentality of the Pharisees had seeped into especially the Jewish culture and the Jewish leadership, and that mindset had stayed. So people of the Jewish faith had this idea that my adherence to the law is what brings my righteousness. Forgetting the idea that, well, God gave the promise to Abraham and his seed and it was through the faith of Abraham that he saw righteousness or he had that promise. So it was 
Abraham received the promise, you know, of heaven, of the inheritance as a child of God by having faith in God. And all the people after that, up until when the law was given, and even after the law was given, everyone that had faith in God received the inheritance, not those who adhered to the law. And whenever we look at, especially even at Abraham, or those that were under the law, those who had faith, they did obey the law. But their faith in God caused them to have to believe and to obey. But it was their faith that brought salvation or the promise. And the question that even here that Paul asks is, well, if, if the law came and the law was the means by which you are saved, that kind of makes the promise of no effect. And the promise that was made to Abraham is, is wiped out. And that didn't happen. This actually explains to us why the law was given. And this is the misunderstanding that people have. Now, the law makes you guilty. Did you know that? That's the whole purpose of the law. The law makes the guilt of a wicked person evident. And that's why this law was given. This passage even explains that. When Abraham, or when the law was given to Moses, it was given so that people would recognize their shortcomings before God. And the law was given, and it says here, as a schoolmaster. And there's a very interesting history of that word. But the idea of, of the law given as a schoolmaster, it's, it's given so that you understand that you can't keep the law to get your righteousness. He even says in this passage, if there could be a law that could make you righteous, God would have made that law. But there's no law that you, he can give. There's no law that you can obey. There's not one law that you can choose out that's going to make you righteous. You can't just go out and find... There's not going to be one law that you're going to find that's going to be like, oh, this is the law that if you obey this law, you're good. There's not one of those that exists. It's simply faith in God. Now, that word schoolmaster, it's very interesting. When you think about the schoolmaster, think about teachers in school. Now, when you have kids, or when you were a kid, and you were in school... And you were under instruction. You were under the authority of a teacher. And now, think about this. Is, is going to school when you're a kid the same as going to a job when you're an adult? Is it the same? Like you're under authority of somebody. They're in charge of you. You have a boss. It's not exactly the same, is it? Because when you go to school, and especially back in the day... If you went to school, you know, when there was maybe, you know, corporal punishment and all this other stuff, there was like, there was a degree of, well, you're a kid and you're going to be facing the punishment that's appropriate for a kid because you're a school, you're in, you're, you're under the authority of this, this person and you're going to have reprimand and you're going to act like a child. Now, when you go to, to work tomorrow, if you were to act like a child in a kindergarten class, what would your boss do? You'd probably be sent home if you still had a job. If you like threw a tantrum like a five-year-old. If you you know sit back in the nursery. If you went back in the nursery and took the behavior of everyone of those kids for the last hour and just did that tomorrow for an hour at work, I don't know what your boss would your boss would be like. What is wrong with you? Did you, did you take something before you got here today? Go, go home. 
and seriously think about this behavior before you come back again. You'd be sent home. Now, the idea of the schoolmaster is kind of the whole idea that, okay, well, here's the thing. You're under the law, and the whole time that you're under the law, it's, it's like you're a kid. And you're acting like a kid, and the whole time you're, you're acting like a kid, the, the word of God, when you're acting like a normal person, that makes you, it kind of says how wrong you are. <clears throat> and the whole time, as you're, if you think about this as an unsaved person, if you're not under God's law, and you have no relationship with God, and you're, a, you're in the world, and you're under the law here, every time you do something wrong, and somebody confronts you with God's word, it says, oh, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Now, if you're not saved, and you have no understanding of the word of God, that's why it's a schoolmaster. Because you have no understanding of it, and then the interesting thing happens, though. When you're under the law and it's a schoolmaster, it's because you're a kid. The only way a child was no longer under a schoolmaster was when they grew up. And in the culture and the custom here of when, where Paul was writing this to, that culture idea was that when you finished school, the idea was that you then became an adult and you could then operate under the inheritance of your family. So a child could be the heir of a great fortune. But until they were able to get things corrected under the schoolmaster, under the person that might have been known as a pedagogue or a person in charge of children, until they could get their behavior in order, they weren't considered an heir of their inheritance. But when that child, in essence, graduated, they were no longer under the rule of that pedagogue or of that schoolmaster. They were now considered an adult. And they could operate as an adult, and they weren't under the strict command of this because they operated as one who had an inheritance, as one who was a part of the family. Now, it's the same way with us as children of God. The law is there because when we're children and we have no understanding of God's word and we're disobedient and we're heirs with the children of disobedience, that law com- convicts us of our guilt. When that, when that law and that guilt drives us to God in faith, we repent of that and we are made sons and heirs with Christ. We now go from being little children who can't operate on our own and must be under the authority of someone else to being responsible adults who can operate the, the requirement or can operate under our inheritance. We can then take over our responsibilities as an heir without fear of spoiling or ruining our inheritance. Now, the thing is, all of these principles and things that the pedagogue establishes or that schoolmaster does to you as a child to make sure you act appropriately, when you become an adult, you don't, you don't simply dismiss all those rules. You now operate under them without having to be commanded to. You now do all those things you did as a child, not because you have to, you do it because you're an adult. You don't act like a child because you're an adult. Is that 
this is such a nice concept, right? You don't act like a spoiled little two-year-old because you're 25. Now, when the Pharisees come in here, this is why they have the whole problem. The Pharisees, in the text, they have this idea that I'm going to teach and I'm going to use and I'm going to look down upon everybody as though they're a child and they're under the law. But the thing is, we're under the inheritance. If you have faith in Christ, you're not a child anymore. You're an heir with the king. You're an heir with Christ. As an heir with Christ, you're not going to act like a child, disobeying the laws, breaking the commandments, being rebellious, because as the heir, you have graduated and you've grown up to that responsibility, and you're going to obey the laws, and you're going to function under the law, not because you have to, but because now that you understand you are an heir of Christ, you're an heir of God, you will act according to one who is receiving the inheritance. The Pharisees, again, they had a complete misunderstanding of the law. And a lot of us, I think, we can adopt that same misunderstanding. We have this idea that, oh, well, you know, if I'm good, if I'm righteous, if I do everything right, I will please God. And by pleasing God, I can make my way to heaven and I can enjoy, I can enjoy the fruits of righteousness because I am so good and I've done and I've obeyed the law so perfectly. But that's not how we get there. We, we, remember, the same way you get saved is the same way you're supposed to be after you're saved. The faith in God and understanding that you're not good enough and you coming to God in repentance and saying, God, I'm not good enough. Your law has made it manifestly, or has manifested and made it so obvious that I am unrighteous and unworthy of you. And when we come to God in that, and we ask for forgiveness, and we put our faith in God, He forgives us, we become heirs with Christ, and again, we then obey the law, not because we have to, or not because it's our schoolmaster, but because we understand, you know what? My faith in God revealed my need of God, and the law made it obvious that I needed him because I can't obey the law in every point. And now that I've come to God in faith, I can follow him as a son and as a son of God, as his child. I have no problem obeying God's word. God's word should not be a burden to you. God's word should not be one of those things where you run from it. You should welcome God's law. And just like the, the Pharisees on the Sabbath here, the Sabbath was made for you. The law was made for you because when you're under the law or when you have the law, one, it brings you to Christ. And when you are brought to Christ and you have Christ in a relationship with God, you obey the law as a means to bring glory to your father in heaven. Not as a means to thump people over the head, but because you know what? I have freedom in Christ. This isn't a burden for me. I want to obey the law because it pleases my father. And because my father is pleased in that, that's what I'm going to do. Not because I want to gain accept, <coughs> be accepted by him. I can say I'm accepted by God because he has forgiven my sins through the righteousness of Christ. And now I will live under his law, obeying, obeying his commandments, because I have a relationship with him, not to get the relationship. So this evening, if you are, if you are saved... 
and you know that you have trusted Christ as your Savior, and you've, you've accepted that gift, realize that, continue to live on in that life. Realize that the faith in God that allowed you to become a son of God is the same faith that's going to keep you going through your life. It's the same faith that's going to allow you to continue to serve him. Now, if you've never come to the point where you've recognized that you're a sinner and you need God, then this message will be for you. And now, most of you are here on Sunday night. But the thing is, if you have never come to the point where you recognize that you're a sinner before God and you need his salvation, that's something you can take care of tonight. Because if you've never accepted his gift of salvation, you're like that child who still needs a schoolmaster. The law, that conviction, that, that wrong feeling, that guilt you feel every time something happens or something, when you do something you know you're not supposed to, that feeling there, and whenever you're around people who act righteously without thumping you over the head, but they're acting right and they're doing the right thing, that conviction you feel that says, I'm doing something wrong. I need to change something here. When you, when you feel that, that little pinge of, that, like, tinge of guilt, that feeling there, that's the Holy Spirit of God. That's God saying, you know what? You do need to get something right. You need to come to me. You need to become my child. And that's that schoolmaster. He's saying, yeah, you're, you're still under the law. Come to me to get grace. And then I'll, you know, that way you can actually have the relationship with me. That guilt there, that's God calling to you saying, get it right. Get a relationship with me. Now, if you have gotten saved and, and you're still out there and you're having a problem bucking against the system, that's because you're an adult acting like a child. You have no business acting like a five-year-old. If you've come to the point, actually maybe a two-year-old, five-year-old's no better, but if, if you're acting like a two-year-old and, and you're saved and you know God's commandment, don't be like that, that person out there that's living according to their own desires. You'll get that right. If you're, if you're a child of God, start acting like it. Start acting like you're the heir of promise. Start acting like that. You're, you're receiving God's inheritance. You're receiving the righteousness that's imputed unto you because of faith. Live like it. Don't live like these people out there who have no hope. Why, why would you live like these people who have no hope? Exercise your faith. Let your faith be revealed in your life. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer this evening. Um, and I guess maybe, I don't know if we want to do a, maybe, we'll have like a, a small uh, time of invitation. Um, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, pray, Lord, that you'd be with um, everyone here, myself included, and just, um, you know, work in our lives. Allow us to to have faith in you and, and help us to uh, recognize the areas where we, we may be falling short or we may be um, relying on our own strength. And I pray, Lord, that everyone here would, would uh, develop a, a better sense of understanding of faith in you. And, and those, if there's anyone in here that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, that they would, they would uh, speak to one of us and get that taken care of this evening. And, and for those of us who are saved, Lord, I pray that you would uh, continue to work in our lives, help us to, to, to look for, to you, um, you know, for, for our hope and, and to trust in you and to continue to have faith that uh, brings about more righteousness, not the other way around, Lord. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.